And welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Melts of Five Star Projects, where myself, Lorca Mullen, and your co-host, Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer rated five stars or higher. And we're in semi... well, we are in uncharted territory here, though not in the star rating, as shocking as it might sound, even though this is apparently a five and a half star match. Because, and Simon is already... Steaming at the ears at the thought of what he's about to have to watch. Because for the first time in this century, Dave <laughs> Meltzer has given a Joshi match five stars plus an extra half star. Which I don't know if that's to take into account the exchange rate of how much women earn to the men at the pound. But. Bloody hell. <laughs> Oh no, Simon's looking up a few articles now to send to me. <laughs> Don't. Oh. No, not quite that bad. But Simon, what match are we talking about? Uh, we're talking a match for the stardom title uh, between Suri and I'm probably going to make a butchers of this. Utami Hayashi Shiata? Hayashi Shiata, I think. Hayashi Shiata, right. Hayashi Shiata. Not sure. Let's just call her Utami for this. Well, that's how I refer to her in my notes. So Yes, yeah. <laughs> but it's for the World of Stardom Championship, which is the top title in all of Stardom. Much like Dragon Gate, they have some unusual names for their belts, but this one, the Red Belt, as it's referred to as well in commentary. So it's the universal title of Stardom then? Yes. Well, stars are in the universe, so... Makes sense. That's true. So, Simon, what was our common refrains about Joshi back in the day? Too much moves, not enough selling. If I could mm. boil my down myself down to an essence. So with this one, I think it wasn't to the excesses of my memory of 90s Joshi. It didn't seem any more excessive than equivalents of men's wrestling now, but that might be because men's wrestling went up to the degree that Japanese women's wrestling was at in the 90s. Yeah. But because of that, it also unfortunately didn't feel that unique a proposition to me like Joshi wrestling did in the 90s, and that whilst it wasn't exactly to our taste, it was mm. unique enough within itself that you can understand why it would be someone's favourite type of wrestling. It stood out, definitely. Yeah. This stands out slightly less against what you would be seeing from New Japan, from Noah, that we've seen in recent months and, and years. Uh, even All Japan, we, we had an aborted attempt at an All Japan episode once of Match of the Week, so that meant us watching some... When, when we were in the 90s and we are watching a 90s New Japan match, and we are watching a 90s All Japan match, and we are watching a 90s All Japan women's match, they had unique settings within themselves, the, the unique stylings, unique presentations. Now it's... Mm. Well, there are unique aspects to Stardom's presentation, obviously with the women's presentation, with it being women, but also the way that the women are presented now is very different, not just to uh, men's Japanese wrestling, but also the women's Japanese wrestling that we know. 
Uh, did you watch the follow-up to this main event match? What happened afterwards? Uh, the lady with the dress. Yes. The woman who won the G1 Climax equivalent in in Stardom. That was oh, part okay. of her prize. The, the Cinderella dress. And that she will right. have one wish granted. And so, also, like, like money in the bank, but with overtones. Yeah, but although they can, they have to announce what their wish is at the end of it. She said her wish was to challenge for one of the championship belts, the white belt. I can't remember which title it is. And I apologise coming into this because we we were just looking at what our most popular episodes were, and it turned out that the um, five star Noah match that we discussed last year, the Goshiyazaki Takashi Sugiura match, is our most popular episode, which came as a surprise to me. I don't know about you, Simon, and yep. I. I, um, I would imagine that some listeners to that were a bit frustrated by our lack of deep knowledge about what Noah has and what Noah had been over that time and what Shiazaki's story was and what Sugiura's story was. And it's going to be similar to that. This is the first time mm. I've ever watched any joke, um, start a match from start to finish. I've watched highlights of Io Shirai, Kairi Hojo, Kana matches, but I've never watched a, a full match. However... It was very easy to pick up broadly what the story was in the match. Well, that helps with the English commentators. Oh, oh, I, I didn't listen with the English commentary, so this this will be interesting. I, I watched the Japanese commentary version because I Stardom's uh, online platform, bless them, uh, it, it's it's not the most user friendly, I guess. So I just I just went for it and knew what I knew. I didn't look around for an English option. Took me two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm lazy. What more do you want from me? But, mm. I, I, without the English commentary, I still broadly understood what the story was. Okay, so what was your understanding of the story? Suri's older, by about eight, maybe nine years. Then Utami, she's got MMA experience. That's why she strikes. That's why her arm bars, her go-to move. Suri's got MMA experience. Suri, yes. Yes, um, that's correct. She actually fought in the UFC. Really? She has a one in three record in the UFC. Her last ah. fight was in 2019. Before then, she'd been undefeated. She went into the UFC with a record of 6-0, and and she won her first fight, but then lost three subsequent fights. Oh, so seven and three overall. That's that's all right. Cool. Sorry, she had a five and a record in Pancrase. Then she won her sixth fight, but then she lost her three subsequent fights, and so I guess she must have got cut. It is intriguing because she has been wrestling during all this time. She started wrestling back in two thousand and eight, and during that time, not only did she fight in Pancrase and UFC, she also fought k1 in kickboxing she has before she went into mma she had a kickboxing record of 13-1 so she's legit yeah <laughs> which whichever way you cut it she's legit so that's your understanding of shuri and you're right especially at the start of the match she dominates on the mats and she's got ferocious kicks what was your understanding of utami then younger i think perceived as like more more the wrestler in the mm. match, uh, throws a mean German suplex, and uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know if it's because it's the same color scheme, but I thought, oh, is she like a Los Ingobernables style cool heel? But I didn't really get any heel vibes from her. I think she's just like she might be a heel, but she doesn't. She certainly doesn't wrestle like one. It feels like just with her youth and 
her almost natural ability, it would seem, because this is only her third year as a wrestler. Really? She's already a champion that's made five defences. This is her 33rd month of wrestling. It doesn't, she does, that does not look like that's the case. So the, I wonder if in many ways she's the equivalent of an Okada in stardom. Someone who's so naturally gifted that they've just advanced so much quicker than anyone's Mm. supposed to. And is automatically just the best of their physical gifts. And she is clearly physically gifted. One of the things that's curious about stardom as well, looking at all this, is there seems to be this set apparel style. Remember back in the days of the AJWs, it was mostly fairly simplistic, very sporting, and they had often quite short haircuts. Yeah. They weren't being presented for their aesthetics particularly, but now they're in very bright colours, they're all in this sort of two-piece with very, like, like revealing at the thighs to the point that there's like next to nothing on on the sides of them. Yeah, it does seem to be catering much more to the male gaze, as it as it were. Mm. And I wonder how much that is also influenced from WWE and the American vision of of wrestling. But also maybe it's just because blokes got interested and they kind of ruined it. Way. <laughs> 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 Or it could just be like further like fashion developments or just female empowerment. As a straight white male, of course. <laughs> yeah, you say empowerment, but it doesn't take long for you to find photos online of any of these Joshi wrestlers, including from their past Kyrie and Oscar and and um, Io Shirai, in very provocative poses borderline soft porn in in many ways and that's just you know that that is unfortunate but everyone can live how they want to live but i think that might be one of the reasons why they're very keen a lot of them are very keen to go to america if they can that surprisingly the wwe is a more respectable place for a woman to be a wrestler now unfortunately which is a very sad (laughs) state of affairs really isn't it yeah well but it's also a good sign in terms of wwe's growth at least so or is is that a sign of their growth or is it a sign of everyone else sinking to their level (laughs) it's a little column a and a little column b yeah because it seems that joshi has been in a bit of a doldrums and in a bit of a, a lost world from the time that AJW folded, which I think was in 98 or 2003. One of those two years sounds right. But even then, AJW had been on a big decline during those years anyway. And until stardom came along with this more flashy presentation, there was no real high-profile Japanese women's promotion. I guess there was Gaia, who had some stuff with, who did stuff with Chikara, and that's where people like Miko Sakamoto came Um gained more prominence outside of Japan. But Stardom does seem to be the one that gained the most ground, and they are now owned by the same parent company that owns New Japan. That's why they had, like, an exhibition thing. Yeah. Is it before Wrestle Kingdom? It was Dark Before match, Wrestle Kingdom, night yeah. One. Yeah, they had done. Yeah. Do you reckon... I mean, I... I don't know a lot about Japanese, like, culture and perception. Do you reckon the ultimate goal would be to, like, merge the two? Or will they always be... doesn't seem to be the case. I don't know if that would be even good for stardom, really, because given the the cultural preconceptions that seem to still exist in Japanese culture, in a way, at least the patriarchal structure, if not necessarily how the majority of people themselves feel... Mm -hmm. It would probably be better to be at the top of your own ladder than at the second from bottom rung of theirs. Yeah, that now, makes sense. Now, 
in a logical way, you shouldn't. No real wrestling promotion worth their salt should really not have a women's division. But that is just the way that it's operated in, in Japan in general. Really, Noah don't have one. All Japan don't have one. New Japan don't have one. Don't think Zero One have one. DDT do stuff with women, but DDT is all kinds of batshit crazy anyway. <laughs> so you can't. They don't really count. <laughs> They're not really a traditional Japanese wrestling yeah. company, are they? No, they're almost like a postmodern pro Did Hustle company. ever do anything with women? Well, she came from Hustle, Shuri. That was her first, that was where she debuted. But Hustle, again, was kind of batshit crazy. Um, but we should talk more about the match, because that's as much as we know. Uh, but there is a, a lack of me having a lot to say. Uh, the start of it was very dominated by one person, then the other person. And then the second half of the match was more about them beating each other to exhaustion. And that was the mm. key. The key story of this match was that they both just beat each other to the point of exhaustion. And it became more loose. And, um, and you could tell it, it was actually a story through strike exchanges, you could argue. Yeah. They start off with a forearm exchange somewhere towards the start. Then that turns into a, a slap exchange. And then just as they're getting to, the, when they reach the 30 minute point, they're just throwing whatever they can at each other. And then when they restart the match, because it's the... Cl- well, I do love, usually they ask for five more minutes. They're like, fuck it, another 30. <laughs> <laughs> Just absolutely wail on each other. They, they do, straight from the bell, they, they absolutely attack each other. What I like about this match, as, as well as the strike exchange, as you point out, is the momentum shift moves. All of them are really good, and all of them make like sense, and all of them fit, and none look jarring. Hmm. Like, it's all... This match has a very natural feel to it. It has, like, a natural flow. You, yeah. You buy into the fact that it's a, it's a fight. It's not yeah. choreographed or, you know, anything like yes. that. Yes, it's very well paced. And there are moments of struggle that seem almost like... Not botches, but slight bad positioning or loss of um, balance or, or something along those lines. That's no way to speak about the stardom cameraman. <laughs> but it never feels like it looks out of place. It looks like a struggle. One good example, I think, is at one point I think Shuri's trying to do a deadlift powerbomb and she can barely get her up. Yeah, um, it's like a straitjacket powerbomb. She crosses the arms as well, doesn't she? So I've, I have it down as a straitjacket powerbomb. And she really has to heave on it to like get her up. And then she like barely gets her up to drop her. But that's after the restart, I think. So that, that conveys the exhaustion. First sign of them both being equally exhausted comes at about the 23-24 minute mark where I think someone does a dive to the outside or there's a big move on the outside and the referee goes outside and he lifts both their hands up and they both fall to the ground. So it's a clear sign that they're both just borderline killing each other as far as this mm. match goes. And that is what plays into it ultimately. It's an ultimate stalemate. Now we've seen stalemates in the past with Joshi matches there was one, I think it was Toyota against an Inoue, I think it was Kyoko, and it was a 60-minute time limit draw, and it just kept going on, and kept going on, because <laughs> no one was staying down for a kick-out, everyone was just kicking out of everything, and there were a lot of kick-outs towards the end, because that was one thing I always remembered about Joshi, loads of kick-outs, and for the first half of the match again, there wasn't that much in the way of kick-outs, but then towards the end it was quite relentless again the, the number of kickouts that were going but that on. that's that's more to convey like a sense of desperation to put the other person away rather than i've hit like an insane move 
but the match still needs to happen. There are no insane murder, death, kill moves, particularly. There are there are big finishers, and very often, or, or Suri will get a huge submission hold, like a big submission hold on Atami, and Atami will just make the ropes, always with their feet as well, I noticed. And mm-hmm. when Atami hits her big finisher, which is like a spinning crucifix powerbomb, it's only because Suri's next to the ropes and can literally hold it in her hand that she's able to kick out. Ref positioning as well. The way the hand goes right down and he catches it just in time. That, that's like a nice little add something to it. The ref did not baffle me, but he, his, his count rhythm was really strange. He always paused before the third. Do you reckon that's like old habits dying hard and not trusting people? Always, Maybe. Do you reckon he's been done over before? Not done over, but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, he wants to see them starting to move their shoulders before he starts to put his hand yeah. down. So it made for an odd rhythm. I was always a bit taken by that. And there are some refs that like to make a slow count, especially for the final four. Earl Hebner was always good at that. That If you if you stand the rhythm of a pinfall count was one, two, three. When Earl Hebner would do like the decisive final pin, it'd be one, two, three. And also, like your first pin after your first pin count after a ref bump, as well. That's always slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charles Robinson's um, good at that. Mm. The, sl- the, the oh, I got there. One, two. Yeah. What little we have going in, we have established with things like Shuri's clearly the striker in the ground game. If you didn't know that she had an MMA career, you'd think she's at least basing her character on mm. MMA characteristics. And Utami's more like an all-rounder, gifted wrestler, a natural. Strong as well, like very strong. Yeah, they do both have great power up fire screams of utter, you know. Yeah, I, I'm just talking about the like, the deadlift Germans as well. Like, yeah, like she's like Chad Gable in a <laughs> sense. She did scare me at one point. The wheelbarrow German to the apron. I I swear, like Suri's head smacks yeah. the top of the apron, and I'm like, yeah, ah. I didn't like that spot at all. Yeah, bottle because you can't control it that well. Well, you can, but you're risky. It's so risky. Mm. Most of the other big spots, though, were pretty safe looking. Like, I didn't wince. It was a line we repeated too often, really. But the one that every wrestling move you like was invented by a ninety-pound, nineteen-year-old Japanese girl. Yeah, there wasn't innovation in this match. I don't think that's one of the things I would go back to. That maybe that's the problem with Joshi. Maybe that's why Dave Meltzer hasn't given out much in the way of five stars there's nothing that's like you know you can see why in 90s joshi was like you've got to see this there's nothing else like this yeah now there is i mean i i, I would have to re-watch them but i think i would still possibly put the sasha banks bianca belair match ahead of this as far as my favorite women's match of the year mm. that i've seen just because the i felt like they told the story and the scale of it better and in a shorter space of time and I liked the story of Sasha trying to contain Bianca more than this, which was just two people throwing everything at each other because it's for the big title, which is a valid story, but it's not one that engages me. Because, like, the first time Utami takes control in the match uh, it's when she does, like, a drops, an atomic drop style of uh, both of Shuri's knees on the ring apron. Like a shinbreaker thing. Yeah, yeah, and then she targets the knee for the first period of her com- control, and you know they don't—they don't all have to be Tanahashi's, but I would have liked to have seen that continued on throughout the match. That it was a weak. Yeah, she like she does a knee the... bar. Yeah, but like then Shuri's kicks slow down for a bit, but then I guess it levels out. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, Suri continues to kick throughout the match. Whereas, you know, if you look at the Shiyazaki Sugiura match, that factored into it. And it was a similar match story of a long, long battle and them throwing everything at each other to the point that they could both barely stand up. To the point that at the end of this, they can't stand up. That it is a double KO spot. Intriguingly, not after they both hit each other with something big or they were both... Because you'd have thought, actually, because of the the story being told through strike exchanges, it would have made more sense for them to just kept slapping and kept elbowing and kept kicking until they both just gradually fell to the ground. But instead, the story is that Suri maybe hits a knockout kick but has nothing left in her. To stand up. The the blow knocks uh, Utami out, but it also takes out literally the last bit of energy that Suri has left. There's a really great bit that sells the uh, exhaustion when Shuri hits the codebreaker. But then she's so exhausted she can't yes. get Atami off of her, so she's being pinned. Yes, I did make a note of that. That was a good that was a clever spot to show off that how much that takes out of them. Maybe they should have teased the double KO spot a few times more. There mm. was obviously been a few count out spots, but I think that was the first time they were both down in the ring and he was counting to ten. I might be misremembering that, but I don't think that they employed the 10 count until that spot no uh, it was weird like there was a very long absence not absence but like pause where the first time uh itami run- rolls out the ring and she's like even like taking on water from a uh mm. a young girl i'm assuming like young lion l- young lioness <laughs> i don't know no it won't be that but it also might be one of her faction teammates yeah. i'm not sure there was one. There was one line in commentary that I thought, "Wow, this is like," you could almost say this is the embodiment of of the issues we had with Joshi, which was that's the fourth DDT in the last ten minutes. <laughs> oh, I think some people just like being opta, don't they? I guess, but um, it's <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting commentary. It was almost like it was a Scottish and a, I think an American commentator, and they did it really like. Serious sports presenter style. I'd be curious to see what your feels. They've also done stuff, and I think they just hired English commentators, English language commentators in Japan, because they were also translating the interviews in between. Ah, uh, the promos. The promos when you know they were saying, "I'm still standing. Can you stand up?" And you know, ah, uh, I, I thought that was what they were saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Suri was great with his facial expressions. Right from the start, when she comes in, there's a look in her face like, this is the biggest match of my life. And again, in commentary, they were saying that she was trying to dedicate this win, what she hoped was winning the championship for her dead mother, uh, that she wasn't able to do. Which would probably contribute to the fact that when the match ends and she hasn't won, and and it could have been hers to win, like if she'd have just fallen on top of Mm. Utami after she hit that blow, she would have won in theory. She's just crying her eyes out. Uh, and then just slaps Utami and leaves. <laughs> yep. Wow, that's just frustration, isn't it, I guess? Well, I think that was her way of saying, I still, I should have won that, and you know I should have won that. Yeah. You survived. You didn't win. Well, you didn't even win. You, you survived. You just survived. But that's all the champion has to do. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Champion's advantage and stuff. I really liked the flow of this match. I really thought... Mm. Oh, they, it didn't they... feel like 43 minutes. Oh, no, God, really not did. at all. Uh, I think they really conveyed the story they were trying to tell really well. I, I think this is why this match... I, I'm not trying to like speak for Dave, uh, but I think that's why this match is the one that, that has made him 
vote a Josie match five stars or higher is because it's not a Josie match in a sense, in like in terms of it's very different in what I've seen of previous Josie. It's it's a very like it's got a very good storytelling flow to it. It feels different. It feels more. You say that, but a lack of a storytelling flow in the 90s wasn't a problem for Dave when he was giving out tons of five stars for them. No, no, but I, I'm, I'm saying maybe it's not because it is Choshi style. Maybe maybe it's because it's the storytelling within the match that's like tipped over. Again, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't mean to be a harsh critic of Dave, and I think I've kind of started to sound more negative against him, which I don't intend, but it's obvious that his taste and my taste don't don't match entirely. I wonder if the key thing to it was the 43 minutes and 9 seconds. <laughs> similar to the Shiyazaki. That it has to be something special for him to go above and beyond outside of New Japan. And oftentimes, if it's like, this match held me for 43 minutes, this match held me for 50 minutes, okay, this is something special. Hmm. That, you know, if they'd have crammed, if they'd told the same story and crammed in as many, not the same number of moves, but the same equivalent of moves. They've done exactly the same thing, but done it in 29 minutes. Would he have not given it that because it didn't go mm. that long? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, I would like us to, and we'll have to do it for match of the week. We should go and watch a couple of Joshi matches from the period in between the last 90s boom and this. Now, yeah. I think, I think the last Joshi match we watched was 97. I think that was Akira Hokotu against uh, Manami Toyota. And so this is literally almost 25 years later, just 24 years later. You know, Utami was not alive when the last Joshi match was given five stars from Dave Meltzer. So there's a lot of history in between that we should really go into. We should, you know, and the obvious thing will be to watch an Io Shirai-Kairi Hojo match. But, you know, we'll we'll look into it. We'll, We'll do a match of the week sometime in the next few months that will, at least one where we'll look into some Joshi. But uh, I don't have much left to say of this match. Do you, Simon? I don't. No, I think I've I've covered all of my like basic points. You liked it a lot. Did you five stars like it? I did. I did five stars oh, like okay. it. I think I I hold the same criteria uh, that you alluded to. That it did hold me for a long period of time. I was hooked by the story, and I think the te- testament. To that is, I didn't watch the English commentary, and I was still hooked. I'm go- my my original gut feeling is five stars, so I'm going for it. Mm, I wouldn't go that high. I- uh, somewhere somewhere between four and four and a half, I think would be where I'd go. Uh, but still, I think it's worth a watch. Uh, if if like us, the fact that he gave he gave a women's match five stars made you check out Stardom, or it's going to make you check out Stardom and Joshi in general, then yeah, I don't think you'll be disappointed. And I think you'll have like if you want to like look. Look for familiar names. You've mentioned Kana. You've mentioned Dio Shirai. But I think Natalia is also floating around in stardom as well uh, at times. That would have been in the very early years of stardom, surely. Because if stardom's 10 years old, I'm pretty sure it's been, she's been in the WWE for more than 10 years. But Tony Storm was definitely a prominent figure in, in stardom in the past. Yeah. It might be a stardom uh, predecessor I'm thinking of. But yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sasha Banks has always wanted to go to, to Japan for a run. I think she trained in... Not necessarily in stardom, but she did go to Japan during her um, sabbatical. Yeah, yeah, she did. Uh, She mentions it on Stone Cold Sessions. Yeah. So, obviously, it's a a place to go and it's a place where where women are allowed to just wrestle and be the stars and do everything that the guys do. And if they can think of something more, then they can do it. 
now that there maybe is more of an aesthetic requirement to them. I couldn't have seen Kyoko Inoue walking out in a in a Cinderella dress or Aja Kong no. or Bull oh, Nakano. <laughs> Could you imagine trying to pitch that to Aja Kong? Just getting like. <laughs> Assuming there are no five star matches next week, we will give you what we promised you last week, which is a match of the week. Match will be staying in Japan, but it will be 1994, December of 1994, as Shinya Hashimoto defends his IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Hiroshi Hase. Two big names from the 90s that we've yet to discuss a match from. So we thought we'd do two birds with one stone there. If people want to get in touch with you, Simon, how can they do so? They can do so on Twitter, where I'm saying Simon Cross free. Free for the number that seems to trip up the star and referee the most. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A, as in the A at the third letter of stardom. And N as in knocked out. Hey. This is what they both were by the end of it, but obviously ignore the silent K. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox, super, and at gmail.com at the end of it. That's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you feel like throwing a few pennies, throwing a few pennies our way, then by all means do so by going to patreon.com slash lmtyspod. And now there's nothing left to say except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a half star time. Until the next time. Chicago,